this is the third week of Advent, and I thought I'd say, uh, preach to you about what the, what the four major themes are of the whole season, and then talk a little bit about what the readings uh, are driving at from Zephaniah, from Philipp- Philippians, and from or is Stephen Scarcia at Evensong at Neshota House many years ago when I was a student read this passage from the epistle to the Filipinos. <laughs> so he was sort of in advance of the multicultural realities in which we find ourselves these days. And uh, that was, I told you, that was the same time that Jeffrey Barnes uh, read the um, read the uh, gospel at Evensong one time, and it was when there was a dispute between Jesus and, as he read it, the Sadducees. <laughs> and when he read it, he realized the error of his ways, and he went, "Oh!" <laughs> on the lectern. So, and he went to Harvard, so anybody can do anything, right? Here, here are the four themes uh, that are important during this season. We're going to talk about it today with the Gospel and John the Baptist. Repentance, and what does it mean and how do we understand it? Hope, understood as uh, the default position of the Christian character and disposition. Honesty, openness, persistence, and enthusiasm how we understand expectation and what it means. Expectation is making the effective use of the imagination to see what might be. You know, not just with uh, opportunities in the positive sense, but also with bad things that happen. Uh, Human beings can use their imaginative powers to figure out what to do, at least something. And finally, joy. Uh, the confidence that the conundrums, the uncertainties, the ambiguities of life can and will come into surer and clearer focus. And all of us have experienced this in our lives in big and small ways, about little stuff, the ordinary day-to-day things, and sometimes about the grand vision we might have for our lives or our vocation or uh, what we think about the future. So those are the themes that are with us through the four weeks, and they're sort of recapitulated to some degree uh, in the readings for today. This is the only time that I know of, I didn't do a massive search, but I think this is the only time we read from the prophet Zephaniah, sort of like Baruch a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Zephaniah was a prophet who's exercised his prophetic ministry probably in Jerusalem, and he lived in the 600s B.C. So it is uh, just before the exile. He is the most doer of all of the prophets. He even makes Jeremiah look like amateur night. (laughs) And so the whole of his prophetic book, he's a minor prophet. And remember what I said, a major prophet has a... Big book, and a minor prophet has a little book. And it doesn't mean that the guys who wrote the little books are less important than the guys who wrote the big books, but that's how we distinguish them. The biggest of the big books is Jeremiah. It's the longest. 
And in the Greek version, it's even longer. So, Zephaniah is constantly focused on God's judgment. And that's the centerpiece of what he's upset about and what he says is going to happen. And today is the most hopeful section in the whole of the small book of Zephaniah. And remember last week I spoke to you about the fact that the season of Advent uh, is about, in its origins and certainly in the biblical texts that are, that are read during this time, with the whole idea of exile and return. That somehow God's plan for the cosmos involves that sense of um, the elimination of the sense of alienation and separateness and the return now to unity with God through the realization that we have a part to play in God's plan, which means that the kingdom of God is not somewhere else and we're not fixing to go there. It's here. And what Jesus is talking about in the Gospels is how we live in the midst of that reality. So just to repeat from a couple of weeks ago, N.T. writes, speaking about in his book, How God Became a King. We usually uh, start out with Advent and Christmas, talking about Jesus, God becoming a man, the incarnation. And then we're going to fast forward as we go through the seasons, and we'll get through Christmas and Epiphany, and then we get into Lent, and then we get into Holy Week, and that's all about the death and resurrection of Jesus. Well, there's a whole big middle part, right? In the Gospels, in the four Gospels, there is a big middle part. Paul is writing about the cross and all of that stuff most of the time. The Gospels are writing about the kingdom and what Jesus teaches us about the kingdom and how we're part of the kingdom of God and what it is that we should be doing. So if you read the creeds and the liturgy, you'll discover that that's exactly what we have too. We start out with the birth and then we fast forward to the, there's, you know, we stop with a paragraph and then there's nothing about the middle part. So the middle part has got to have something to do with what we're talking about in this whole deal. And one of the things that Jesus is at pains in his teaching to uh, advance in people's hearts and minds is that both that we have a, a role to play in all of this and that it is a present reality, both past, present, and future. And we're part of that. We need to keep that in mind always when we think about this. So Zephaniah is speaking about realities on the ground and that God's restorative purposes are always at work in every age. And that we, have to, we come to terms with that as we uh, repent. I'll say that in a minute, uh, what that may mean. But Zephaniah is talking about it. And he's talking about it in a way that the church took that text and said, this has some sort of an Advent idea about the coming, expectation, new beginnings. And then we go to Philippians. And this is a famous passage. You'll notice that we wore rose-colored vestments today, and on the third Sunday of Advent every year we do that, because this is Gaudete Sunday in the tradition with a capital T. 
and the old psalm that we used to sing and sometimes still do to come in was Gaudete in Domine. Rejoice in the Lord, which is what we get from Philippians. So this is Gaudete Sunday. And then we'll have Laetare Sunday in Lent on the fourth Sunday in Lent where we will do that because the, the, the gradual was, or rather the, the uh, introit was uh, that theme. In any case, Philippians is, Paul is speaking now to or writing to one of his healthiest congregations. As I said last week, if, if the Corinthian church was on the bleeding edge of the dysfunctional church movement, Philippians was the healthiest, the most balanced, the most generous, the most um, healthy community. And he's thanking them for this. He's thanking God for this. And he's telling them that they need to rejoice in that reality. And so Advent is a season when people do that sort of thing. And Paul is reinforcing that and saying this is the, the proper attitude of the Christian person. And we get this now just before the last Sunday where there's going to be a complete switch of gears and we start talking about Jesus is coming real quickly. But the gospel for today has our old friend, John the Baptist. What I need to read, this is just to me, in a sense, hilarious. What does he say here in, uh, in the gospel? John the Baptist at the end. Um, His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So, with many other exhortations, he proclaimed the good news to the people. <laughs> yeah, they're all like, you know... Uh, here's what's happening. The situation on the, you can tell why he got his head cut off because uh, he was, he was not, uh, playing ball with the regime. And he also uh, gives, uh, to, to the listenership, a social program, which is really Luke, but Luke has more of this than any other gospel writer, which is very important. Um, what then shall we do? And the crowds asked him. In reply, he said to them, Whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none, and whoever has food must do likewise. Even tax collectors came to be baptized, and they asked him, Teacher, what should we do? He said to them, Collect no more than what is owed. And the soldiers asked him, And we, what should we do? And he said to them, do not exhort money from anyone by threats or false accusation and be satisfied with your wages. That social program in the ancient Near East would have been startling if people would have followed that and done that, right? Because here's the deal. If you were a tax collector in, uh, Ju in Judea, you were one of the people, the local people, who the Roman government hired 
and you were told, here's the tax you must collect. This is the tax you must collect from everyone. If you collect more, you keep the difference. So like restaurant owners, when I was a kid in San Francisco, they had a bar, you know, bartenders and everything. They said, I want you to pour $25 out of that bottle. If you can pour $30 out of it, then you keep the five. Well, people don't like that, clearly. So to say just collect what is owed uh, was a startling thing, and you might even be impinging on somebody's livelihood. It looked like it might be just impossible to do, but John was suggesting that it uh, be so, and that furthermore, and more to the point, uh, is the fruits of repentance. So I say this all the time. In the Greek New Testament, the word that's mainly used for repentance is a word called metanoia in Greek, which means to turn around, to see things in a new way, to see your life in a new way, and as the result of that, to make some resolve about what it is that you're going to do and how you're going to live. But there's another word in the, in the, in the New Testament that is also used, not as frequently, epistrophe, which also means to turn around and look at your life in a new way, but instead of merely focusing in its origins, the word, on your internal emotional, spiritual, and mental states, it says, I'm going to take the resolve that I have internally made, and I'm going to put it in my hands. I'm going to figure out what to do to make it real. In other words, it is not... Just, it's a word that says, you just don't talk the talk, but you walk the walk. So that's the kind of repentance that John the Baptist is speaking about when he does this. He is speaking principally in corporate terms. Remember, we live in a culture that for so long has focused on the subjective understanding or the I in this thing. How does this affect me, you know? that it's hard for us to see ourselves identifying in that group sense uh, in a way that uh, is as uh, profound as is described in the New Testament. There are cultures in the world today who do identify with things in that way. But we in this country and in a lot of Western countries tend now to focus on the individual, right? Because the highest good in most people's minds is the triumph of the autonomous self. That's what we all seek, or many do. That, it is, that is the thing that is the highest good, moral good. The highest good that we can achieve is complete autonomy. We get to do what we want. We get to have as much as we want. We can do, go, you know, all those things. So that's what we seek to do. And there's a part of that that is, that is very good and that you and I ought to be behind, you know, in terms of social advance. But there's also a part of it that says, you know, I'm part of a larger whole, and uh, I can influence the larger whole, and somehow building community uh, with one another and being concerned about one another in a genuine sense is an important thing to do because it moves society in a direction where it's easier for people to be good. So John the Baptist, who's somewhat uh, amusing. I didn't mean to poke fun at him, but in this day and age, uh, that would that sound to me like, boy, this doesn't sound like good news to me, right? 
So maybe the thing that we learn from this is that all spiritual advance begins with a turning away from what is hindering our obedience. And Advent is a time where we think not in the same sense uh, in Lent with the sort of fervor or depth, but it is a time when we sort of think about that, you know, think about the direction that we're going and the need uh, to change direction. So I guess the lesson that we'd learn uh, from this is that um, think about the directions that you're looking in which you're looking for happiness. Maybe that's not the best English. That's what Father Thomas Keating says. Repentance is changing the direction where, where you're looking for happiness. Away from the three energy centers, security and survival, affection and esteem, power and control, and think about uh, those things that are necessary to human uh, well-being. Think about them in a more generous aspect. Part of it may have to do with taking other people seriously and uh, with holding one another up when things get really bad. We've been through a week where there's where what has happened is an incomprehensibility, a simple incomprehensibility. So I have no social program for the solution, but we need to work on one pronto. Keep doing that. So, you know, see how in big and small ways, in all things, uh, you can always work to be part of the solution. Amen. Amen. Amen.